0: Let's open our Bibles together to Philippians chapter 3, please. Philippians 3, starting in verse 12. Let's pray together.
1: Our Father in heaven, dear Lord God, as we come to this time now of of reading and hearing and studying and thinking about your word, we ask, Lord God, that you would help us to see and learn and understand wonderful things from your word. I pray that we would receive with faith
0: your word and that you would guide us and lead us and strengthen us to be doers of your word. Thank you for all of my brothers and
1: sisters and any visitors who are here today. And we pray, Lord God, that much edification, Lord, would be granted by you as we give our attention to your holy scriptures now. In Jesus' name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. That's, it really continues on in the next verse, but for today, that's probably as far as we'll go with it. Uh, first, just to contextualize it, because it seems maybe an abrupt place to begin a reading with the phrase, not that I have already attained. What had he just been talking about in the previous verses was. Uh, how he counted as loss and counted as waste and counted as rubbish all of these things from his former life that he could put confidence in himself in. Here in the book of Philippians, we're told that the Apostle Paul said he put no confidence in the flesh. But if anybody could put confidence in the flesh, it would have been him. And he listed out all of those things, you know, that, that he was. The religious pedigree, the learning, the accomplishments on behalf of his religion, and uh, even his religious order as a, not just a Jew but a Pharisee. Even his persecution of the church. for Before Paul was a Christian, he was a zealous Jew who saw Christianity as something that was wrong and something that was a threat and something that was dangerous and something that was false. And so Paul actually persecuted it until his own eyes were opened by the Lord and he was converted. But Paul, before he was saved, could stand, or he thought he could, stand and lay claim to all of these things as proof that God was with him.
0: And of course, he did it in complete ignorance and blindness, because he came to learn,
1: as all of us must come to learn, that none of us can lay claim before God to anything in and of ourselves. The most that a man or woman can do before God with regards to self-assessment is recognize that when we compare ourselves to God's standards, when we compare ourselves to God's law, when we compare ourselves to God's holiness and righteousness and purity, we fall short. So Paul, back in verse 7, said, what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. A very powerful statement. And he goes on and says, why it is much better actually for him to count those things lost because if you're not familiar with this, you weren't here last week, you've never heard this before, or it didn't sink in or whatever. Paul is not saying I count all of those things lost in some proud sort of self flagellation or or you know uh, in in some way even upping the ante of some sort of pride by saying, Look, I'm just going to you know dismiss all of these things and whatever. No. Um, The reason Paul counted all of those things lost is because when the Lord met him and his eyes were opened to the truth of the gospel, he learned and discovered, as we all should and we all must, the only thing that is really worth pursuing in this life, which is the glory of Christ and your relationship with Christ. He speaks in those previous verses of... uh, Counting all of those things as rubbish that he may gain Christ in the end of verse eight in verse nine and be found in him. Look, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. That's the righteousness now that he seeks, because that's the only real righteousness that there is, is the righteousness of Christ, which is credited to the person who has faith in Christ. I want to make sure you understand that. I've explained this so many times over the years, but maybe for the sake of the visitors who are here who maybe have never heard this before, or or maybe just for the sake of you, it's never quite clicked. I just want to make sure you understand this all-important concept of righteousness. And that is that uh, righteousness is really the issue before the Lord. We are not righteous. When we have sinned one time, we are no longer righteous. We are tainted forever in ourselves with unrighteousness. Righteousness is being right before God. The way we're right before God is by doing, saying, even thinking. Even in the deepest level of our hearts, everything is correct and proper and in accordance with God's law and with just God's standard of his own person, who he is. That is righteousness. No one is righteous, the Bible says. There is none righteous. No, not one. And so Paul said, I used to be someone who found my righteousness in the law. So he thought, though he didn't. But then he said, I came to found the righteousness which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. That's the righteousness of Jesus. One man lived. Listen carefully. One man lived in the history of the world, who could say that he was righteous before God. And that man was actually God in the flesh. It was Jesus Christ. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Son of God. The only one who was righteous. And when I read that description to you just before, about how he died for us, what is miraculous about that is the one person that could say, I don't deserve this, took it gladly and willingly. Jesus when he died, took upon himself the sacrifice that every unrighteous person, which is every other person who's ever existed, deserved. Now, here's what God does. You ready for this? And I know most of you probably know this, but in case you don't. When Paul speaks here of the righteousness which is from God by faith, what he's talking about is this. When a person abandons his self-righteousness, When a person abandons his pursuit of making himself justified before God by his religion or by his works or by anything else, right? And and that's common for people to do that. You know, I've done my sacraments, I've done my religious duty. I'm not as bad as those people over there. I, I, yeah, sure, I have my faults, but I've never killed anybody. And I, you know, we have all sorts of ways that we justify ourselves before God. When we abandon our attempts to justify ourselves and put our faith, put our trust in Jesus who died for us and rose from the dead. What God does is he credits you with Christ's righteousness. That's called imputation. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is credited to you. In other words, it's as if before God, you lived the perfectly righteous life that Jesus did you are credited with his righteousness that is the righteousness which comes by through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith paul said i count every single thing that i ever was and ever had as rubbish and loss for the sake of that righteousness right and then he adds to it in verse 10 by saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I'm not interested in the religious pursuits anymore. I'm not interested in the zeal for the law or the zeal for the old covenant. I'm not interested in simply trying to do good works to prove myself to God. I'm not interested in trying to make sure I dot every I and cross every T of everything I do in order to try to please God, in order to try to prove to God that I am worthy to, to be
0: his child. No. What I'm doing is abandoning that
1: for the sake of wanting to know Him, Jesus, and the power of His resurrection at work in my own life through my relationship with Him. In other words, make it really simple, all religious or self-righteous, self-motivated, works-driven pursuits to try to please God and prove myself before God are out the window in favor of having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and every day, every moment of my life, pursuing my relationship with him, to know him more and more and more and the power of his resurrection. That was last week's message. It's all about Christ, right? Christ, that's what it's about for the believer. And he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Right? So that's what he's talking about is, you know, I want really what he's saying is I want my life to match up with Christ's, who died for me and rose from the dead. And just as Christ suffered and died and rose from the dead, I want to live the way that he lived
0: and then one day rise as he rose. And and we read that and maybe we say, man. It sounds lofty.
1: I mean, mean, I'm not only not anything like Christ. Sometimes I feel like I'm not even anything like Paul, let alone like Christ. I mean, it seems so lofty to me.
0: Then I read verse 12. Look at verse 12 again. Everyone, look at your Bible and look at verse 12. Just to make sure
1: you understand that Paul is not speaking of any self-attainment after just repudiating all self-attainment that he had before he knew the Lord Jesus. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Right? I want to just stop here, and I want to turn your attention to something very important on this subject Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. I want you to, we're going to come back to this, but I I need you to look at 1 John chapter 3. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. The very powerful statement in there, written by a different apostle, but it's all God's word. 1 John chapter
0: 3 and verse 2. Look at the statement. Beloved, beloved. A very
1: intimate address of the reader. right? Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. What does that statement so powerfully say? Well, it kind of is very consistent with what Paul says when he says, what I want is a life that is in every way conformed to Christ's, even in his suffering and his death, because I wish to attain to the resurrection just as Christ himself was resurrected. Right? And then John kind of describes almost the same thing here. The first statement is very comforting. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it's not like using now as just a euphemism, like we might say now, now, and then we might say something else. He literally means now. Right in this moment, if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are his child. Why is that important to point out? Well, first of all, it's a very encouraging truth, isn't it? Just to know that... uh, Uh, we've been adopted as his sons and daughters through faith in Christ, and we are the children of God, and nothing can change that. God is our Father, Christ is our Lord and Savior, and his Holy Spirit in us seals us unto the day of redemption. But it's important that he says, beloved, now we are the children of God. And yet, look at the next statement. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. See, we're becoming something. But what it is as children of God we're ultimately going to become, according to what John says here, has not yet been revealed. That's why the first part of the statement is so important. Now we are the children of God. Listen, listen, listen. And I hope this encourages you as much as it encourages me. With all my weaknesses and with all of my flaws... And with all of my struggles, I, the gospel was preached to me by God's grace. He opened my understanding. He opened my heart. I believed the gospel. I was saved. And I've lived my life many years since that time when I was first uh, born again, when I first received the Lord. But through those years, man, I've battled and struggled and hardships and trials and struggled with weakness and with sin. And if you really stop and think about all that, you can ask yourself, how can I possibly be a child of God? And what John is saying here is, Beloved, now we are the child of God, even though it hasn't even been revealed yet what we're going to be. I'm his child now. Even with my weaknesses and my battles and my struggles get overtaken in a trespass and get discouraged and all sorts of things that go on that can discourage and drag you down and get your focus off the Lord off. Listen, it doesn't change the reality Right now, in the midst of all of it, I am his child. And nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. Glory to God that those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are now and forever his child. What is really being said here is, in a way, the same thing that Paul is trying to say. As Christians, we are going to one day become something that we're not fully aware of it is, of what, even, even, what it even is yet. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. What are we going to be ultimately? Where is this faith in the Lord Jesus Christ ultimately going to lead you? What are you going to become one day? I don't know. I don't know it's not yet been revealed but this i know look what he says next but we here's what we do know when he is revealed that's a reference to christ coming back to be revealed to his elect To be revealed to those who have been saved through faith in Him. To be revealed to the church of all ages. To be revealed to those who have died in Christ and those who are alive and remain. When Christ returns and He is revealed to us, we don't know now what we're going to be. But when He's revealed, we
0: shall be like Him. We're not there yet. That's what Paul's trying to say. Paul's
1: trying to say, I'm living my whole life now. I don't care that I used to be a Pharisee. I don't care that I used to be a religious expert. I don't care that I used to persecute anything that was outside the faith because I was so zealous for the purity of my religion. I count all of that as loss, actually, for the sake of the fact that now I know Christ. And now my whole life is about knowing him and the power of the resurrection, even sharing in his sufferings. So that one day I may attain to the resurrection as well
0: because I want to be like him. John says, we are now the children of God even though we aren't yet what we're going to be. But when he's revealed, we're going to be like him. Isn't that something? Look, look, It's comforting to know that even though
1: we battle and struggle with things that in our day-to-day experience may at times have the effect of making us feel like we're not his children, hello, make us struggle and battle and discourage us, the reality is we are his children. And one day when he is revealed, we are going to become what he has always intended for us to become. What is that? I don't know, except this,
0: like. Yes, thank you, Lord. This and that should encourage you along the way. And now,
1: now we're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now look what verse 3 says here. This is important, because this is similar to what Paul says as well. Paul uses very different words to describe it, but they're describing basically the same thing. Everyone who has this hope, stop there. There's that word hope, right? Now look, that's one of the unique, distinctive blessings of Christianity. That we have a hope. The hope that we have is not a keep your fingers crossed hope. The hope that we have is not a maybe this is going to come about. No, the hope that we have is a promise of something that is certain we're simply waiting for it. The only thing that is uncertain is what? The when. The when is uncertain. We don't know when he's going to return. We don't know when we're going to see him and become like him. But we do know that it will happen. That's the difference with like what the world calls hope and what we call hope. What we call hope, the only thing that's unclear is when it's going to be delivered. But his promises are all going to come to pass and they're all going to happen in Christ. Right? So everyone who has this hope, that one day, even though we're His children now, and even though we don't know exactly what it's all going to be like when we reach wherever the Lord is going to take us, we do know this, that one day we're going to be like Him. And that ought to inspire hope in you. That ought to inspire a forward look in you. right, Looking ahead to this great blessing, that one day we're going to see Him and we're going to be like He is. The Bible, I think this is even what the Bible describes in 1 Corinthians as in the twinkling of an eye, in a
0: moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll all be changed. That time comes. Now, if you have that hope, not keeping your fingers crossed that it's going to pass, but you you have faith
1: in Christ and so you know it's coming. You just don't know when. You don't know what it's going to
0: look like, but you know it's coming. What does everyone do who has that hope? Purify themselves. Purifies himself just as he is pure. What is that? That's a picture
1: of the walk in this world day by day. That is not a walk wherein we attain perfection. Look, the ultimate form of what we're going to be is entirely the work of God, it is not the work of us, it is the blessing of God. It is the grace of God. God is the transformer of us. God is the one who will ultimately change us into what we're going to be. But if we have that hope, what do we do? We do what Paul did. I count all of that other stuff as junk. And I go ahead following and serving the Lord. What John says is, everyone who has that hope purifies himself. The idea of purity is removes everything that doesn't removes everything that comes between him and God, removes everything that is a barrier or an obscuring factor of the truth and the reality of God's grace in the gospel of Christ. All of it is removed. He purifies himself from all of that even as he, Christ, is himself pure. So what's the bottom line to what John is saying and the bottom line even to what Paul is saying before we've even gone through it? The bottom line is that When a person becomes saved, therein begins in our lives the process of walking day by day in a relationship with God, striving
0: to serve Him, striving to walk closely with Him, but not beating
1: ourselves up or losing faith when we realize that we don't measure up now because the reality is, we will not attain and we will not become completely what it is that He's making us until He appears and makes us that. You understand? We don't make ourselves that. Even that burden is lifted. Even the burden of, I want to be like Christ, which ought to be the desire of every Christian's heart, to be in this life like Christ, right? Because we are His children now. So we want to live like his children now. But there is a burden lift that comes when you realize and accept and believe and allow yourself to be blessed by his grace that the attainment of it doesn't happen now. Even Paul, who counted all of his religious pedigree nothing and had ministered to the point where he was beaten and falsely accused and thrown in jail and didn't even know if he was going to live or die. Even Paul couldn't say, yep, I've attained it. Even Paul was not yet, because listen, no man and no woman in and of himself becomes what it is that Christ is going to make us one day. We're his children now. We walk in it now. We strive now. We seek him now. We walk closely with him now. We pursue him now. We pray. We study the word. We give our lives to his service. But man... We don 't even scratch the surface of what we 're going to be it 's not even revealed what we 're going to be except
0: that we will be like him that's coming for the Christian. Does that do for you today christian no, and that's
1: go back to paul's writing. go back to Philippians let 's take a few minutes and and just take a few these couple sentences apart a little bit See Paul says not that I have already attained or am already perfected, right? Paul understood this. Paul understood that even though he counted everything else useless and pointless compared to knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, that he himself might attain the resurrection as well. Even though that was... Paul realized he hadn't attained already. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but what did he do? He pressed on. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended. Even though he had suffered to the point almost of death for the sake of the gospel, he did not count himself as having apprehended because he knew that was going to be when he was with the Lord. I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, This ought to comfort every Christian who battles and struggles with anything in life. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What were you before you were saved? Were you a very religious person who did everything you could to try to earn your place before God? Were you a completely non-religious person? An agnostic, an atheist, you just didn't care. It just didn't seem like it mattered that much to you. What were you you before you knew the Lord? Listen, leave it all behind and just press ahead. That is the beauty of God's grace. Listen, even as a Christian, as you walk through life, you find you get burdened with things. You get discouraged with things. You get attacked by things. You get overwhelmed, even sometimes, with the struggle you have with your own flesh and your own
0: circumstances. Listen,
1: leave it all behind and press forward for the goal. Press forward. Actually, the word that's used is the prize. Press forward for the prize. What's the prize? The upward call. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize is the finished product. The prize is when we are with him, we will see him and we will be like he is. What we do with our lives now is we press forward for that. Not working to earn it. That's not what he's talking about. The work that was done to earn this was done when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. So that's why I say the hope is a reality. You've just not received it yet. But what we do in our lives now look, I just, I was already like ready to talk to you today and just had a little extra time this morning. And had a really weird morning because I didn't set my alarm and still I woke up like the same time I always wake up, which was actually an hour earlier, right? Because my clocks were turned ahead and I woke up and that was it. Forget that I, like, fell asleep in my office for 20 minutes before anybody else got here, but, but, but you know. Mid-50s, what can I say? So, um, look, I while I had a little bit of time, I was looking up some of these words. I'm not, like, a great scholar of, like, the original language, but what I noticed was Paul used words here like, I press on, you know? And he used words like... Um, Reaching forward. Verse 14. Press upward. The word word that means to press, because it's used there twice, and it's the same Greek word in both uses, the one in verse 12 and the one in verse 14, uh, is something that I'll pronounce wrong. It's dioko. And, And literally what it means is to chase or to pursue. None of that... Probably enlightens you very much, but this is the one that like caught my attention and made me decide to share it with you. It's the same word that sometimes is rendered persecute. I well, thought that was interesting. It means to chase or to pursue or to persecute. And what I think that shows is Paul, who himself was a former persecutor of the church, now took, takes all of that zeal that he applied to persecuting the church and uses it to persecute his unattained goal. That is, it shows the intent, that word press. It means he applies all of his zeal to the pursuit of something. Isn't that awesome? Not that I'm already perfected, I've already attained, or I'm already perfected, but I, with all of my zeal, chase and pursue forward, onward, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And there's a great comfort in that, right? He is chasing after something that he cannot attain himself, but the thing that he's chasing after is something that Christ has already attained him for. Do you understand? The Christian is pursuing something that we are guaranteed to arrive at. Not by our efforts, but by like what Christ did. Do you follow that? We are, we are in faith pursuing this upward call of God in Christ Jesus, knowing with full assurance that even though we may stumble and fall along the way, we're going to make it. We're going to see him and we're going to be like him one day. Isn't that awesome? That's the blessing of the hope of Christianity. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. What did he lay hold of me for? to change me into someone who looks like him. I don't do that. He's going to do that. I'm going to chase after it in my life, even though I know I'm not going to attain it in this life. But I'm going to receive it as a blessing of his promise fulfilled when I am with him one day. Paul says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. You know, apprehend means to grab something. You think of the word apprehend, you think of like a law enforcement person Nabbing a criminal, right? You know, arresting someone, grabbing something, restraining something. Paul says, I don't count myself to have apprehended, to, to have grabbed onto that. But one thing I do. So look, I haven't gotten there yet, but here's what I do. And notice that phrase too. One thing. Here's what my life is about. One thing that I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal. And there's that word press again, dioko. I pursue. I chase after the goal. I chase after the goal. What is the goal? The prize. It's like a runner running for the finish line. It's like an athlete. Think of any sport trying to achieve the highest prize, the championship, that elusive championship, whatever it may be. Chasing for the goal. Paul says, my life is spent chasing for the goal, even though I don't apprehend it at all in and of my own strength. I know that one day I will receive it from the Lord, and therefore I spend my life chasing after it now. I don't, listen, 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 I don't get dragged down by the failures. And Paul had a lot of failures in his past. Things that Paul used to count as good, he realized, were failures. Persecuting the church was a failure. Right? But Paul doesn't sit and dwell on it. Paul says, I leave those things behind. And I press forward. You in Christ ought to do that too. Because you know what? The goal is already attained. You are his child now. You are one day going to see him and be changed and you're going to be like him. Don't know what it's all going to look like, but I know that. We're going to be like him. And so you know what? Leave everything that's behind, everything that drags you down, everything that you're ashamed of, everything that you feel like, oh, I cannot possibly be God's child. Listen, confess your sin, forsake your sin, trust in a God who says, I remove them as far as the east is from the west. Trust in a God who says, I drown them, cast them into the sea, and I don't remember them anymore. Trust in the Lord and press forward. Dioko, pursue. Persecute the goal. Persecute after the goal. With intensity, chase after that goal. And you know what one day we're going to attain? Not by our own doing, but by the Lord's doing, we're going to be raised. If we live out our full lives here and die, we're going to be raised from the dead, just like Jesus was raised from the dead. And we're going to, in that moment, in that instant, receive a new body, and we're going to be changed. We're going to throw off mortality and put on immortality, and we're going to be like Him. And if we happen to be the generation that lives to the time that the Lord comes, wow! That's even, I don't know which is cooler. I don't know which is better. Paul had the same thing. I don't know if it's better to depart and go or stay and be a blessing to you. If we happen to live to the time that the Lord returns, we're going to be snatched out of here. And we're going to, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be changed. And we're going to receive what this promise is of being like him. So what do you do now? Forget everything. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of kindness. He's a God who spent the most precious thing that anybody could. The life and the blood of his only begotten son to redeem you. Leave everything behind, behind and use your life to dioko after that. As a believer, Paul is not speaking of a person Chasing after salvation. Salvation is a gift from God that you receive when you believe. But he's talking
0: about what you do with your life once
1: you have received that gift.
0: Pursue the Lord. Pray. Read and study the Word. Tell everyone you know about
1: Jesus. Invite everyone you know to come and hear the Word of God at your church or whatever. Use your life. Use your life to pursue the Lord. And then one day, one day, not because we're earning it or deserving it, but because by God's grace it is given to us, in His time,
0: we will see Him and we will be like Him. I think that's what Paul is saying. I think that's what John is saying. Don't attain it here and now. But we spend our life in the pursuit of God. One day, blessed as his children by his grace, we will receive the end of it. Radical transformation, the eternal salvation of our souls. Stand up with me. Let's sing the last hymn here together.